1: Listener-supported WNYC
2: Studios.
3: Uh, wait, you're listening?
2: Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> you're listening, listening. to
4: Radio Lab. Lab.
2: Radio
5: Lab
6: from <laughs> WNYC. See? <laughs>
5: yeah.
7: <laughs> hey, I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krulwich. This is Radio Lab, and today. We're going to hit the phones. Hello? Hi, can I speak to Mark? Starting with this guy, Mark Morrison. This is me. Hey, Mark, this is Jad calling from Radio Lab.
1: Hey, Jad, good to hear you.
7: <laughs> Got a hold of him at his home in Olympia, Washington.
1: I'm hanging out on the front porch because kids are running around. So you might hear some traffic.
7: Okay, gotcha. Um, all right, maybe we should just jump in. Maybe you should just tell me the story.
1: Okay, so um, I was DJing a wedding um, out in Lacey, which is the next town over. It was a hot, like late spring, kind of feeling like summer kind of day. And uh, we were in a, a little uh, rented facility that had, like, windows on all sides. And all of a sudden, the power starts flickering, and it starts raining really hard. Okay. Then trees are falling over. The wind is gusting, and it, the sky turns to night. Whoa. And this is, like, 3.30 in the afternoon.
7: So Mark takes off, goes back home.
1: My in-laws are visiting in town to hang out with the new baby. And um, we open up the curtains, turned off all the lights, and we're just kind of marveling at the insane power of this storm that's happening. My wife is sitting on the couch. My two-year-old is watching Charlie Brown or something on the iPad. And then all of a sudden, there's just a loud snap, like the sound of a whip cracking or like, like a two by four being snapped in half and about a foot and a half to two feet in front of my face right next to my mother-in-law and the baby, there's a little sphere of light, white light just a little orb the size of like maybe an orange or a grapefruit, kind of blurry edges around it floating in midair As bright as, like, the sun. Uh, Like, the bright, it lit up the entire room. Wow. We all screamed. (laughs) Everybody in the room in unison.
7: And Mark says this sun orb just sort of hovered in front of his face.
1: Kind of going, wom, 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 wom. For maybe a second.
7: When all of a sudden, poof, it was gone. Yeah. That's some X-Files shit right there.
1: Yeah. None of us had any idea what the heck happened.
7: Well, did you go around the room being like, "Did you guys see that?
1: Did you see that?" Yeah, everybody saw it. Everybody saw it. Um, my mother-in-law thought that I had like taken some kind of like fireworks and thrown it up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? What did you do? <laughs> like, I, I didn't do anything. So what I did was I started trying to Google it, and there's, you know, I mean imagine trying to Google that. You're not going to find anything.
7: (laughs) What what did you type into Google?
1: Uh, Sphere of light floating (laughs) indoors. (laughs) um, I didn't didn't get very far. (laughs) Yeah. But um, I I just wanted to get to the bottom of it.
7: And so what Mark did is he sat down on a computer and he typed up this email basically saying, like, what the hell is this thing? And then he sent that email
2: into the void. Which would be us. (laughs) We (laughs) We are the void.
7: To our email inbox. And, uh, you know, it sat around for a while uh, because we tend to get these kinds of questions... A lot.
4: Are there more stars in the universe or grains of sand on Earth?
7: A lot. A lot.
4: Is it cleaner beneath the sticker of the apple? Why do some birds walk and others hop? How do fish hear? Why are horses special? We get
7: things like...
8: What's up with traffic jams?
7: Random questions like... helium is a finite resource, why are we wasting it on balloons? A lot of poop questions. Why is different animals poop shaped differently? Yeah, a lot of poop. What
8: happens when
9: you flush a toilet on the equator?
7: And they just sort of pile up. We sort of put them in this bucket and then feel guilty about not answering them. And over the years... Well, they keep coming. So the bucket gets
2: fuller and fuller and fuller. So finally today we decided, okay, let's just dump the bucket out.
7: It's a who what why we're wet and how day. And so we're gonna try and answer some of these questions today. Bunch of us. Hello. Beginning with a question about the orb. Can I speak to Martin, please?
10: You're talking to him.
7: Try and answer Mark's question. I call up a guy named Martin Uman.
10: Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering, University of Florida. Thank you. Is
7: this still a good time to chat? Uh, It
10: it is about the only time because I'm going to go to dinner in about 10 minutes.
7: All right. Excellent. Uh, So we'll just jump right in.
10: All right. How long are we going to talk? Well,
7: so I uh, told Martin the story. Thunderstorm, boom. Glowing orb, poof. Glowing orb, gone. Yeah. So maybe I'll just put the most basic question to you. Like, what is that?
10: Well, that observation is not uncommon, and it's called generally called ball lightning. Ball lightning. Yeah, that's what it's called.
7: And according to Martin, ball lightning is timeless.
10: Ancient Greeks described exactly the same thing. In the 19th century and 18th century, they used to commonly come down the chimney, come out the oh. fireplace.
7: Oh, wow. But now, says Martin, we are living in an electronic world, and so these sometimes balls of lightning...
10: Sometimes come out of a wall
7: socket... Sometimes out of a telephone.
10: Huh. They happen in airplanes. They happen in submarines.
7: Whoa. They, they, that actually, that's been reported? Yeah.
10: Lightning strikes outside an airplane and a ball comes through the windshield and floats down the whole plane. What?
7: If I'm in that plane, I'm thinking...
10: You're going to hope you have your diaper on, right? <laughs> Where your depends. Anytime you've got electrical stuff going on, you can make a ball of fire like that.
7: So do we know anything about what causes what it is exactly? Is it just another form of lightning that somehow manages to ball itself up and hang around? Well, probably. Martin is actually one of the few people who has studied ball lightning in the lab. He actually got funded by DARPA to try and figure out how it works. Wasn't quite able to. He says what's likely happening is that when a bolt of lightning strikes, it might hit something.
10: soil water, tree, Whatever it is, some substance. Gets lit up and somehow forms itself into a sphere, like a balloon or a bubble or something.
7: Like if you imagine lightning hits some dust, shocks the dust, changes its chemistry so that it forms some kind of spherical scaffolding, and then the lightning sticks to the scaffolding or something?
10: Maybe that's what's happening, but you can't prove it. I mean, there's some theory which indicates that that might happen. But if you go in the laboratory and you try to make it, you can't make it. So you can't prove it. And uh, if you get a book on ball lightning, or you get my book and look at the chapter on ball lightning, you'll see probably a list of 50 different theories that people have come up with, uh, from all all the way to to black holes and and discontinuities (laughs) in time-space and Things that are just, you know, completely almost out of this world. So they remain a mystery, but uh, a well-observed mystery. Hmm. Did, did you know that people don't have any good maths for how lightning gets started in a cloud?
7: Really? I didn't know that.
10: We, we don't know what, how lightning can, can get started. It shouldn't be able to.
7: It shouldn't really? Be, based on what? But The math says there's not based enough... Based on light-
10: all the measurements that have been made of the conditions in clouds... Huh. So you're the world you're... is full of things that aren't understood. Almost nothing is understood. <laughs> We're floundering around.
7: <laughs> Does do you do you find yourself thinking about ball lightning and then suddenly just tiptoeing into an existential crisis about <laughs> how, li- <laughs> how little we know of the world?
10: Well, how I make my living is trying to uncover little little more bits by little more bits, but. Yeah, oh, there's lots of it, isn't there? About everything.
2: Producer Tracy Hunt goes on a field trip to some very hallowed ground.
4: Right, I think i finally reached the
2: library. The New York Public Library. The New York Public Library. Within its white marble walls is stored the sum of man's wisdom. Which in its glory
4: days... Okay, so I'm right here in the Grand Hall. There's like beautiful chandeliers all over the place, these gorgeous columns. It was filled with... Seven floors of stacks.
2: Millions of books.
1: In every field of human endeavor.
2: Row upon row upon row of shelves.
1: miles of shelves. Close to 50 centuries of human thinking and experience.
2: And every year, millions of visitors like Tracy would walk through these hallowed halls. Each has a question. With questions fueled by curiosity, the desire for truth, for knowledge, for wisdom. People trying to unravel the mysteries of the universe.
4: I came here to ask him a question about catnip. Catnip? <laughs> yes,
7: catnip. Wh- wh- why? Why
4: catnip? Oh, I should back up. So, we actually got like 500 questions from our listeners. Okay. So, right. I thought it might be a good idea to take some of them to the library. Hi, Rosa. So I met up with this woman. Nice to meet you. I'm Tracy. Nice to meet you, Rosa. And she walked me into this office. Yeah. There's about, like, I don't know, 12 people sitting at their desks. Why don't you just introduce yourself? To okay, me. sure. So my name is Rosalie. I manage Ask NYPL, and I've been in this department for about five years. Ask what? Ask NYPL. It's 917-ASK-NYPL. I'm putting the phone number out there. And if you call them... And you ask them a question, it's their job to answer it.
9: Yes. So we are like a call center. So our typical day
4: um, starts with questions. And like in a typical day, how many phone calls do you get? Um, Typical day, about 150 to 200. And Rosa was telling me that most of the questions they get are, what will the weather be like this weekend? Um, Very boring. Hey, my library card expired, or I want to renew this book. But, you know, also, they, they get some weird ones. We take them all. <laughs> yeah, Um. so I got a list right here. And in the past, they've gotten things like, what kind of apple did Eve eat? Is it proper to go alone to Reno to get a divorce? Any statistics on the lifespan of the abandoned woman? Do camels have to be licensed in India? What is the natural enemy of the duck? Can I get a book telling me how to be a mistress of ceremonies at a musical orgy? What does it mean when you dream you're being chased by an
6: elephant?
2: And, and do they answer all those? They'll try to. So, you know, I,
6: I was maybe a little dismissive for a few of them. I mean, all the questions, (laughs) of course, are very important. We welcome all questions, please. This, by the way, is Bernard. Bernard Van Marseveen. He
4: has been working for Ask NYPL since about 2001. And so the question, he did answer my catnip question,
6: which is... Do large feline species like tigers and lions have the same reaction to catnip as domestic cats? Yes.
4: All cats like catnip.
6: Apparently tigers, at least.
4: But, um, you know, I had all these questions, so I actually had them pick one that they thought was super interesting. Yeah. Which one did you pick to, to answer?
6: Right, let me get the exact wording oh, yeah, out yeah. of it. So, yeah, so here we go. Uh, could you play a meaningful game of Frisbee on the surface of Mars? Yeah. And... <clears throat> yeah, I really like that.
4: Picture.
6: Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> and I, I think the word that makes it, like, just really shine is meaningful. meaningful. Yeah.
4: So, um, the first thing he
6: does... If you want to get me kind of doing some some searching, you know, yeah. again, back of the envelope kind of stuff here. Yeah, nice. he, and he...
4: I guess I was a little disappointed that we didn't bust out any, like, books.
6: I'm just looking up um, Frisbee aerodynamics.
4: He literally just turned to his computer and started Googling.
6: How does a Frisbee behave here on Earth? The spin of the Frisbee, uh, of course, the lift, drag.
4: So he looks all that stuff up. Let's see. Then he looked up, like, aerodynamics.
6: On Mars. On Mars. It's very thin, the air there, so...
4: Because the air is so thin on Mars, you wouldn't get that spinning, lifting thing that you always get in
6: Frisbees. It might... Uh, not have the same sort of hovering effect that uh, Frisbee does here on earth it It probably would be more like just throwing a a ball. it would just go Broom. ten feet away, fifteen feet away. I don't think that that's, that counts as a meaningful game of frisbee, but
4: you know you could you could still throw it back and forth,
6: <laughs> but <laughs> meaningful <laughs> to me the the question is like you're playing frisbee on Mars. I mean that's just oh, so that's it's just already, inherently it's already meaningful, meaningful. Oh, I mean. Okay. You know, growing up, I remember seeing, uh, hi, hi. you know, rebroadcasts of of, uh, you know, like the astronauts on the moon.
11: Houston, uh, while you're looking that up, you might recognize what I have in my hand is the...
6: Uh, playing golf.
11: ...channel for the re- contingency sample return. It just still happens to have an eluid six iron on the bottom of it. in my left hand, I have a little white pillow that's a man of millions of
12: Americans. Uh,
6: drop it down. And I'm sure that they were not playing like, you know, PGA golf. But I'm
12: gonna try an old sand trap shot here. They got more
2: dirt than ball inside. <laughs> more dirt than ball.
6: Here we go again. They were just, you know, amateur duffers. But we They were golfing on the moon. <laughs>
12: Roll the die. One more. Miles and
4: miles and miles.
6: I mean, to me, that's pretty great. That's, that's, pretty, that's yeah. pretty impressive. So the, 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 the venue uh, kind of makes the whole endeavor meaningful, I think, in, it, in its way.
2: Thanks to producer Tracy. Oh, wait.
4: I, I actually did ask them my dragons question.
2: Oh, oh. Okay. Well, then, next up, Tracy Hunt and dragons.
4: Hi, this is Christina. Hi, yes. this is Tracy. Hi. This is Tracy. Oh, Tracy. hey, hey. Oh, you call me back. This question that? is from Christina Hardquist. I'm a native of Novato. Out in Northern California. Um, and I was born and raised
9: here. So, yeah, love this place.
4: And you, and what was your question to us if you remember what it was roughly?
9: Yeah, so I came across this article about these creatures called olms that I guess were being, you know, washed out of these caves in Eastern Europe. What are they called? Olms, O-L-M, these sort of like blind cave-dwelling amphibians. They're totally white. Their skin is translucent, very like otherworldly. And the article touched on the idea that, you know, folklore thought that these little creatures were actually like dragon babies being pushed out of of these caves where, where these huge dragons live. So I started digging into it a little bit. And of course, you can only find so much on the Internet. But there was this idea of dragons being a sort of like a universal
4: myth across, you know, different disparate cultures. And Christina started to wonder why it seemed that so many cultures all over the world All have myths about dragons. What is it about like humans that cause them to believe in these like
7: huge
4: scary fire breathing animals?
7: Is that true that cultures all over the world have dragons?
4: Well Sort of. You have the northern European dragon that we're all familiar with. Uh-huh. Then there's the uh, Chinese dragon, which is a little different. It doesn't have wings, doesn't breathe fire. Then there's um, other dragon-looking sort of things, the Nana, the Nana Bolele. Among the Besoto people in southern Africa. There's the Amaru, associated with the Incan Empire.
13: Yeah, I think there's no doubt that we have fabulous, awesome creatures like dragons uh, in almost every culture in the world. Um, so this is Adrian Mayer. I'm a research scholar in the Classics Department at Stanford. And I'm in, most interested in is what sorts of things found in nature might have led pre-scientific people to believe that dragons or monsters or other fantastic creatures really existed, at least in the past or even maybe in the present.
4: Adrian so actually wrote a book I, called I, I The First Fossil, 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 Fossil Hunters I, I, that lays out this theory that a lot of these stories were actually based on uh, people
13: finding old you know, fossils and bones. Fossil bones or, or teeth or claws or footprints embedded in Stone. So they'd see a, a set of
2: old bones that they couldn't explain with any modern creatures, so the creature they go to is this dragon-shaped thing.
13: Yes. But I do want to point out, though, that we can never know for certain which comes first. The observations of mysterious traces of, of unknown animals or the stories of dragons. We don't know which comes first. She says
4: it could be that the story about the dragon was already there. And then when they found some bones, they just sort of applied those bones to the dragon myth.
7: Well, if, if the dragon came before the bones, where did it come from?
13: Well, there's another theory. Some scholars have said they're like monsters of the id. They arise from... Ancient memories of very real predators that were faced by our ancestors. Basically, dragons are composites of the, these creatures that used to eat us and, and hunt us and kill us, like crocodiles, saber toothed tigers, and lions, cave bears, gigantic serpents, snakes, pythons, condors, giant raptors. So, you can take like
4: the scaly skin of the crocodile, the claws of the saber-toothed tiger and its saber teeth, <laughs> the wings
2: of these raptors,
4: put them all together.
2: So, this is all the old terrors rolled into one, like <laughs> boom, together.
4: Yeah, they tap into all those fears that are ready or ready inside of us,
7: in theory. I'm going to go for that one. Yeah, I like that. That works. That mm. that feels like an answer.
11: Well, you know like like they're very powerful. I mean, they could be very scary, they could be very destructive. But what's kind of magical in in Game of Thrones is that uh, the intimate scenes also Melt your heart and bring you closer to these creatures that should be, you know, burning your face off.
4: Okay, so I I, I should admit that I actually just used this whole dragon thing to talk to this lady at Game, from Game of Thrones. <laughs> you, oh, this whole thing, thing was this th- <laughs> Her name is Paula Fairfield, and she makes all the dragon noises for Game of Thrones.
2: Oh, she makes the dragons? Right. Well, what did you ask her? I guess is really the question. What did you want to know?
4: Well, I wanted to know, I like. I wanted to know, like, how does she make these. Sounds. And it was really interesting because, you know, we're talking a little bit about, uh, you know, how dragons are composite creatures. Mm -hmm. And she basically uses composites to make these noises.
11: Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely.
4: She takes noises from
11: birds, reachy, shrieky bird sounds insects different kinds of reptilian recordings and stuff and okay, is and it always the scary animals too. well it depends
4: on on what dragon that she you know which of the dragons that she's trying to actually um create a performance
11: for i have sounds i might choose simply by certain personality traits that i might want to push forward um so in the case of drogon <laughs> So um,
4: on the show, there's Daenerys, who's this dragon queen, and she has three dragons, and one of them is named Drogon.
11: And she named that dragon after Khal Drogo, her her hot, late husband. Um, (laughs) So Drogon is like her lover. We have to go
2: home.
4: He kind of has, like, a very affectionate, um, sensual relationship with her.
11: He's whistling at her all the time. He's looking at her butt and going, ooh, baby.
14: (laughs) Oh, sweet thing. Does it hurt?
4: And so in order to kind of push forward this sort of, like, dragon sexual
11: tension, I guess, she uses the sounds of two giant tortoises, you know, mating. Oh, Giant
2: that's... tortoises. Wow. What does that sound like?
11: Well,
4: um, you know, I'm, I'll just play it.
11: Whoa. Oh. So the groan of the male actually became, with some work and, and you know, adjustments and stuff, became um, the source, the basis for Drogon's Purr with her. Mm-hmm. With Daenerys.
2: How far did you carry me?
5: Dragon, we need to return. My people need me.
11: And the funny thing about the Purr with Drogon was watching people watch it and giggling when they heard it, but not really knowing why. And to me, it, it's because it had that essence, that that kind of sensual, sexual essence, that Purr. So yeah, now I use all all kinds of things. And, you know, I also used for dragonfly wings to make that kind of funny flutter of the thorns as it's, it's moving, like especially on the end of his tail this year. As he moved through, there was like a chitter and that was like dragonfly wings.
7: Dragonfly wings? Yeah. Really?
11: <laughs> I,
4: I was wondering if you ever had a question about dragons that you would like to have answered.
11: You know, no, it's, it's curious because I think the thing that differentiates the dragons from creatures and makes them slightly otherworldly is the fire thing. Where did the idea for that come along?
2: That's a good question. Yeah. Where Where did that come from?
13: Well, there are many theories about that. Actually, I took that question back to Adrian Mayer. The one that I like is connected to the devastating weapon called Greek fire. Which was this unquenchable fire. It can't be put out by water. In fact, it burns in water. And so it was a naval weapon, and I believe that scholars have found that some of the nozzles for blasting Greek fire were shaped like dragons so that the boat looked like it had a... Dragon on board, breathing fire at the enemy ships. Oh, that's so cool! Wow. And just stories of they had dragons that breathe fire uh, would make it back to uh, to Northern Europe. That's the best theory I've heard. Oh, that's
7: interesting. So it's like if the dragon is a composite of all the things, the creatures that have scared us. Now we're part of that composite. Well, it's our
2: technology now is built becomes part of the creature that frightens us.
7: Thanks, Tracy.
4: You're welcome. Who is
8: What is uh
3: what is
6: uh, uh
0: Who is
6: uh, mm. uh anything coming to mind? What is uh oh. Um. Say something.
3: Three. Um. It's a fedora.
13: I should have known that.
3: You so. should have known that. All right,
9: we're going to oh. take a break. This is Marnie Campbell from the beautiful banks of Lake Washington in Seattle, Washington. Radio Lab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world more information about Sloan at www.sloan.org.
0: Video lab is supported by Babbel. Sometimes self-improvement can feel like a pretty overwhelming journey. So what if this year you just got a tiny bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. Here is a special, limited-time deal for Radiolab listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash radiolab. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash radiolab, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash radiolab. Rules and restrictions may apply. Radiolab is supported by Cozy Earth. When you think about summer comfort, words like... Breezy or soft maybe come to mind with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding and loungewear, you'll get the comfort of home wherever you roam, allowing you to elevate your summer getaway no matter where or even if you're getting away. Cozy Earth bedding is temperature regulating and made from top notch materials, including viscose from bamboo that can turn any living or sleeping space into a sanctuary of luxury and comfort. Their loungewear and pajamas offer you their signature level of comfort while maintaining an elegant fit so you can look cute and be comfy even if you're taking a long flight or car trip. Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for Radiolab listeners. Get 35% off site-wide when you use the code RADIOLAB at www.cozyearth.com. That's 35% off at cozyearth.com, code RADIOLAB. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy
7: Earth. Chad, Robert, Radiolab, and we are back with more questions. Next one comes from
14: Woo-hoo.
7: producer Rachel Cusick.
14: Woo-hoo. So this question comes from Liam Hamburger from Denver, Colorado. Come
3: on, Come on. I was browsing memes on my Instagram feed, and there was this meme where the picture was of a husband and a wife trying to go to sleep. Uh, the wife was looking away, and she was, like, looking irritated. Uh, and then the husband was looking, like, this kind of confused on the opposite side of the bed. And the caption was, her, he's probably thinking of other girls. And then him, I wonder if I've ever bought milk from the same cow twice.
2: What did he say? I wonder what?
14: Yeah, so he said, I wonder if I've ever bought milk from the same cow twice. So if I go to the store, I buy a gallon of milk. Uh-huh. And then I go back maybe a week later, I get another gallon of milk. What are the odds that the same cow is in both of those gallons of milk?
2: I see.
3: I would say the answer is almost
7: certainly yes, 100%.
14: That's Art Benjamin. He's a math professor. At Harvey Mudd College in Claremont, California, and I'm also a mathemagician. And how is he so sure that it's 100%? Well, according to Art Benjamin, it all comes down to, uh... Probability, statistics, and dare I say, calculus. (laughs) So, take a farm like Dale's here. here
3: we go. My name is Dale Mattoon, Pine Hollow Dairy.
14: Dale has about 1,000 cows. And twenty at a time, these cows walk into a milking parlor. They line up. It looks like a wishbone. All day and all night long. And they get hooked up with these black rubber hoses.
3: The air you're hearing every once in a while is the guy putting a machine on a cow when he hits the button. It turns on the vacuum, and then he
14: pumps the milk out of their udders into this big hose along the bottom of the floor.
3: Running through the hose down into this line,
14: and it's meeting up with all the milk from all the other cows. And then it goes from that room into another room where it gets cooled down. This is the milk out. Put your hand on this pipe. Oh my gosh, it's cold. There's condensation on it. Very cool. Once it's cooled down, it goes into this rocket ship looking thing outside called a milk silo, where all the milk from Dale's farm is just hanging out together. Silo gets filled up and up and up and up until it's full. We're sending out Over 8,000 gallons of milk a day on a tractor-trailer. This truck comes along, picks up that milk, and it stops at another farm and another farm and another farm until that truck is full. Right full. Goes to the processing plant. And once you're at the processing plant, all that milk is just mixed around even more with milk from all the cows in the region. And look, I still have my... My
3: back of the envelope that had the calculation here.
14: Here is where the math comes in.
3: There are about 90,000 drops of milk in a gallon. And, uh, oh, I don't know, 100,000 cows who were contributing to a particular processing plant.
14: When you run the odds of a drop of milk from any one cow getting into any particular gallon. That's probably the
3: case. Every gallon of milk contains most of those cows contributing.
14: And here's the thing. In one drop of milk, you could probably have a bunch of different milk molecules from a bunch of different cows.
3: And so one glass of milk might have, you know, thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of different cow molecules in my glass of
14: milk. Wow. Wow. That's Um, crazy. Oh, my God. (laughs) So going back to uh, Liam's original question, uh, Art's argument is that when you're drinking a glass of milk, there's like so many different bits of milk from so many different cows. Then it's
3: probably the case that after just two glasses of milk, you're you're almost certain to have. Um, a cow that was represented in both of them.
14: So you're bound to run into at least a little bit of one of those 100,000 cows again.
3: The, the point being that every glass of milk has you know, has thousands and thousands of different cows um, contributing to it.
7: <laughs> a little bit of 10,000 cows in every glass. In oh. every glass of milk. <laughs> I love that. I That's... don't know that I do. No, it's great. It's like you're no, enjoying the... the collective efforts of this entire species <laughs> almost. No,
2: no. I think it should be the product of one or two cows whom you can picture in your head and maybe Pat on the nose. (laughs) Thank you, you could say.
14: Yeah, I don't know. I'm with both of you. I feel like it weirds me out, but I also think it's kind of cool at the same time.
7: Well, you you know, uh, but but come to think of it, what happens if you drink a glass of milk in New York— get on a plane, fly to Atlanta, Mm -hmm. then have another glass of milk. Are you getting the same 10,000 in each glass, or are they different 10,000?
14: Yeah, so I tried calling around a little bit to answer that question, and it seems like no one really wants to pay to ship milk that far. And so, basically, a different processing plant might mean a whole different group of cows. Oh. uh, Yeah. (laughs) If you really want to figure out exactly which plant your milk is coming from, you can go to whereismymilkfrom.com. Really? Yeah. Uh, And— you input the little code on the top of your carton and see how often that number comes up again. Each processing plant has its own code.
7: Coming into so many stores. Me. Thank you, Rachel.
14: Thank so you. Uh, and just a big thanks to dairy farmer Dale Mattoon over at Pine Hollow Dairy. Are you a big milk drinker? Oh yeah. <laughs> how often do you drink milk? Oh
3: well I have it on my cereal in the morning. I have a glass or two for lunch and a glass or two for dinner, probably two glasses each each meal. If I don't drink milk, I don't feel good. Like if I go away on vacation and a lot of times you go to...
13: Like how gives milk? Cartons and cartons of milk.
12: All right, this next one came from a couple. Hello? A married couple. Hello, is this Marie? Yep. This is Matt uh, Kilty, calling from Ritty Lab. How are you?
8: I'm good, thanks. I have you on speakerphone, and Zach is right here. Oh,
12: hey, Zach. Hi, Matt. How's it going? Good. Good. So, Zach Marie, uh, it was years ago, actually, they sent us an email about what I think is like one of the most confounding, perplexing, mysterious devices that you can find inside of anybody's home. Okay, so the microwave. I guess, I guess what I'm wondering is how. One, why were you microwaving peppers? Uh, and, and two, do you do you remember the moment this happened?
8: Oh, I know what it is. I know exactly what happened. So.
12: Okay, you know, so quick scene set. Uh, Portland, Maine. Uh, a kitchen around dinner time. I think we were like cooking a, a tomato sauce. Zach was on bell pepper duty.
8: Try and take a shortcut. Stick them in the microwave to make them a little warm or soft or something. Then I said, "Oh, Zach, don't put those in the microwave." They'll spark.
12: And Zach was just like, mm. you're crazy.
8: Hogwash. I
1: don't believe, gonna <laughs> believe you at all.
12: And, uh... Marie's like, no, 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 no.
8: I remember seeing it as
12: a kid. She said there was a couple times her mom put some peppers in a microwave and they sparked.
3: Yes. My first thought was that my memory was wrong. That's what I thought. It was that your memory was
7: wrong.
12: Like, there must have been a piece of metal in the microwave and you just don't remember that. And that's what was sparking up because vegetables right. wouldn't do that. And this is going back and yeah. forth and yes and no and sparks and nothing until...
3: I think it was like, we have to. The- We have the ability to find this out and uh, prove this wrong.
12: So that was like five years ago in the past. So we decided that we would actually do our own experiment in the present to get to the bottom of this. Do green peppers spark in the microwave? Oh, Maserati. First things first, I actually went and bought a microwave. (laughs) Hey, how's it going? (laughs) Off a guy on Craigslist. All right, yeah, so uh, 50 bucks? 50 bucks. 50 bucks, all right. Our baby. Then carried it like uh, eight blocks back to work. Holy sht. Also bought a bunch of groceries because we are going to do more than just a peppers test. And for reasons I'd rather not get into, uh, decided not to start with the peppers. Baby carrots.
14: Baby carrots is little carrots. Yeah.
12: Producer Anna McEwen. So we're going to kitchen. Really? Yeah. Couldn't tell.
14: <laughs> carrots?
12: <laughs> okay. And as the great Ronco says of infomercial fame
0: great ronco is great ronco set
12: Set it it and
0: forget it all
12: right two minutes let's see what happens Hey. and all of a sudden
8: oh my god
12: this little yellow spark just shot out from one of our slices of carrots
0: (laughs) that was crazy there's a little spark oh yeah there you see another one yeah i just saw a little flash wow a little tiny spark
12: Mmm, carrots. Hmm. Carrots.
0: <laughs> okay. Next.
12: Kale. Set and this is where it gets a little crazy because the kale. Oh, There. Same thing. What? Boom, boom, boom. Sparks. Smoke. It's
0: a smoke. Oh. Let's have it. Smell smell
4: Jesus.
12: Delicioso.
0: That is smoke.
12: Um, we're gonna try blueberries.
2: Ready? Set it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Whoa,
12: oh, it's We started to draw a bit of a crowd in the studio.
2: What? Why was electricity coming
12: out of the blueberry? <laughs> All right, up next crepes, crepitos, crepes, Crepetitis,
4: crepininis.
12: Ready? Ready. Time cook. You set it.
0: Whoa, Whoa. my God. Look at it go. All right, what's up next? Okay, jumbo Franks.
12: Shit, I got turkey Franks. You set it.
0: Spread it. <laughs> oh, oh, I saw one. Oh, oh my God.
12: Uh, okay, pepper. You said it. Oh. Oh my God. Okay, both red and green bell peppers. Green was crazy.
0: Hey, pepper! We
12: also threw in diced up tomatoes, uh, pears, decorative gourd. Are we gonna
0: get fire for
8: this? And also, oh.
12: a flaming lip city.
8: There we go. Oh. Oh. Who needs
12: fireworks when you've got a CD in the middle? This is crazy. Stop! Stop! All right, we'll stop. Yeah, because I don't want it. Yeah,
4: is it gonna? It looks like it was on fire.
0: Is it smoking in here?
4: Yeah, it's definitely smoking. Oh, that smells <laughs> really bad. All right, let's take a break. Yeah. everyone. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we want to keep the door open.
12: What did you uh, say to Marie after the peppers sparked in the microwave? I
3: think I was, I, I don't know, I was probably speechless. I
12: said, <laughs> I was uh, can't believe that you're right about this. <laughs> and Marie, did you say anything in return?
8: Um... Only something to the effect of I told you so.
12: <laughs> so pepper sparking the microwave, that was settled. But then there was okay, well, the debate about... Marie doesn't <laughs> believe my understanding
3: of how microwaves work. Why? Uh, maybe it's just that pepper has a lot of moisture in
12: it. Zach, maybe it's you put the pepper in the microwave, all that water gets really hot. The skin acts as
3: like tinder, and that lights on fire quickly.
12: But Marie...
8: We always have the peppers in our house, and I think that the green ones taste a little bit metallic.
12: To her, it's like, maybe these peppers just have, like, some little bit of metal in there that's sparking.
8: Yeah. So is your next step to find the appropriate scientist?
12: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to try and put this case to bed. Yeah, just give us one moment. So, ended up tracking down this woman. Is it Caroline or Carolyn? Is it... Carol- it's Caroline. Caroline. Okay. Her name is Caroline Ross.
5: I'm a professor in the Department of Material Science and Engineering in MIT.
12: An experienced microwaver?
5: I've done it with, um, with roast potatoes.
12: Oh, you've seen sparks.
5: Uh, yeah, I've seen sparks from roast potatoes.
12: Huh. All right, so yeah, maybe we should just... Like, so, do, I asked her, like, in the case you know, of the peppers or, you know, the roast potatoes or uh, the grapes, like all the different food that we tried... Like, what happens in a microwave that makes the food just go like... Bleh. Right. So let's say I got some pieces of pepper, put them in the microwave, I press start. Like, what, what happens next?
5: Okay. So there is a gadget in the microwave oven that produces the microwaves. It's called a magnetron. And um, it's a, an interesting thing in itself.
12: Okay, quick side note. It's basically like this hunk of metal that makes the microwaves, but Caroline told me this really cool thing, which is uh, they actually used to be used uh, in World War II for radar.
5: That was in the 40s, and in... In 1945, there was an engineer at Raytheon who was working on these devices, and he found that some candy bar he had in his pocket got hot. It
12: was like, oh, this cooks food. And so eventually uh, a magnetron got thrown inside of a metal box, and thus was born the microwave.
5: So it's a, an interesting thing in itself, but uh, it produces the beam of microwaves, and they bounce around inside the microwave oven, moving at the speed of light.
12: What are the are pounding... Into the pepper? Or maybe not pound, but right. like, uh, like shooting into they're the pepper? They're being absorbed. Absorbed. Yeah, they're
5: being absorbed. And these microwaves, um, they are the right kind of frequency to cause the molecules in food to oscillate back and forth. Oh. You've put a pepper in there. So the pepper's got a lot of water in it. It's got other things as well. Um, and those molecules start absorbing the microwaves and dancing back and forth and hitting each other and heating up. And then that bit gets even hotter and even hotter, and eventually it could burst into flames.
12: But that is not what we're seeing with our pepper or any of the food in the microwave. It's not. No, because uh, as Caroline explained to me, a flame is very different uh, than a spark.
5: So one thing to keep in mind is that... um, The pepper is fairly conductive. It's got all this water in it. We know that water can conduct electricity. Mm -hmm. And the water isn't pure. It has a lot of salts dissolved in it, minerals, Uh, things like that. In that sense, it's a little bit like a piece of metal. Metal, as we know, absorbs microwave energy rather well. As we all know. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So. (coughs) Okay.
12: so let's say you get these pieces of pepper in a microwave and they're, you know, heating up. Now, the thing is, the microwave, like the wave itself,
5: it has an electric field which oscillates back and forth at rather a high frequency. So when these
12: microwaves shoot into these pieces of pepper, what happens is this electricity starts
5: swishing back and
12: forth through the bits of pepper.
5: So there's a current flowing.
12: And as more microwaves are absorbed in these bits of pepper, you can get quite big currents. Currents so big that they start to create this electric field around the food.
5: And that electric field builds up and up and up, and eventually it's big enough to cause the air to glow around the food.
12: Because now there's actually electricity coursing through the
5: air. Like a fluorescent light bulb.
12: And Caroline says at this point you can start to see...
5: These glowing balls of gas floating.
12: It's actually the air turning into plasma. Now... Back in the center of the microwave are are little bits of pepper, where there's still this electrical current
5: swishing back and forth through those bits of pepper. And if you have sharp corners,
12: like the actual corner of a pepper, even on the skin, like these tiny microscopic little points, the electricity in the pepper, the electricity in the air
5: can get concentrated at those sharp corners like a lightning rod.
12: And at those corners, the electricity will just build and build and build until...
5: You get a mini lightning bolt. Why? Why?
12: Why? <laughs> and then Caroline said everything in the microwave just sort of calms down.
5: Until the electric field builds up again and it does it all over, letting loose these mini lightning bolts. So it's a very dynamic process. You've got things being ionized, you've got things recombining, you've got charge flowing, you've got light being emitted, things get hot, there's a big current flowing, all for that tiny fraction of a second. A lot of quantum physics in there. <laughs>
12: and then we hear a little ding and then we're done and then we're done but i just had one last job to do how you two doing Again, good. Okay, all right. So I think, called up uh, Zach and Marie, told him everything I learned about their sparking pepper, and that even though both of them didn't have the exact theory, like so Zach was right, water's an important sugar? part, and Marie was, you know, kind of on to something with this metal thing. Yeah, it feels like it's almost like a little bit of like a a, a marriage of sorts, part in the pun uh, between both your ideas that uh, kind of is what is happening inside this black box. Right. So yeah.
3: So, so I think we were we had some some of the elements there. <laughs>
12: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that's uh, that's about it. Okay. Excellent. Oh, um, there was one thing that I actually thought was kind of interesting. And in all these questions we were getting in, there was like this tiny little pattern of of married couples sending us in uh, <laughs> <laughs> arguments that they got. In. There was there was one couple that was like uh, they were arguing about the nutritional value of microwaving a potato. Um, there was another couple that sent in a very long email about how they'd been debating about how we perceive color. Um,
8: We've actually had a similar dispute.
12: Yeah. It is. Oh, over color. It
8: was <laughs> uh, the couch. Oh, yeah. There, there was a couch that we had. It was some sort of like drab tone that I thought was green and you thought was brown? Gray.
3: Gray, okay. Yeah, I think I... Yeah, we had that couch for, like, between different houses and different combinations for probably, like, five or six years and maybe seven years, ten years. And... um, Had a lot of life in it. And I was... Yeah, I always thought it was gray. I still do, but apparently you and your sister thought it was green. You, like, lived together for years and just never realized you're seeing something completely differently. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what do you mean, our green couch? I have no idea... We don't have a green couch.
2: (laughs) Producer, Matt Kilty. All right, so that's just a few of the questions you asked us, which we tried to answer. But that's just the first part of our effort. We have another whole sequence of questions and answers coming up. So if your question hasn't been answered yet, um, hang
7: tight. Never know. The next batch could include your question. And it's coming very, very soon.
6: Why do humans have two feet?
8: When are we gonna be able to fax a pencil? So the little yeah. waves go
5: through the little right, so headphone uh, string? So I don't know. know. Come come what come is the world all about? That's that's are an an what are is we well. Doing well, here? What right, are here? What is happening? What part? is happening yeah. after yeah. this? After right. this right. life? Yeah. Where do we go so from here? Where
4: did it
5: Like how
9: does that work? Like I have no idea. I
7: have another question.
4: White, where,
7: how? I want to know. Yeah, what is is a I am curious. I look, I know
0: what
5: it who knows? When I get the answer, let me know. Bye.
14: It's a who, what, why, where, when and how day.
7: Planet Mars in purple county. Holy macro. That's a day for you and me. How,
13: and where, why, want To hear the message again, press 2. Start of message.
8: Hi, this is Marie Mueller calling from Portland, Maine, with uh, Nora Mueller and Calvin Mueller in the background. Radio Lab was created by Jad Abumrad and is produced by Soren Wheeler. Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Marissa Matasar-Padilla is our managing director. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Becca Bressler, Rachel Cusick, David Gebel, Ethel Hopti, Tracy Hunt, Matt Kilty, Robert Colwich, Annie McEwen, Latif Nasser, Melissa O'Donnell, Arian Wax, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster with help from Amanda Aranchik, Sima Oliai, David Fox, Nigar Fatali, E.B. Wang, and Katie Ferguson. Our fact checker
7: is Michelle Harris. Thanks, Radio Lab. End of
10: message.